All right, guys. Um, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, everyone. This is Charlie Davies. We're coming to you with a special and really important episode of the U.S. Soccer Podcast. We're taping this on Wednesday, June 10th of 2020, 16 days after George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis, sparking days of protests and examinations on the state of racism and police brutality in our country. Given everything going on, we want to invite past and present Black national team players on the podcast and give them an opportunity to discuss their experiences on and off the field. I'm honored to be joined by the 2019 Women's World Cup and NWSL champions Crystal Dunn and Jessica McDonald of the U.S. Women's National Team, U.S. Men's National Team legend and all-time cap leader Kobe Jones, and current U.S. Men's National Team and Fortuna Dusseldorf goalkeeper Zach Steffen, and my friend and co-host Jordan Angeli. Thanks so much, Charlie. Uh, thank you all for letting me join this. I have been compelled over the last few weeks to listen and learn and unlearn a lot. And I know that that is something that is only something I'm going to continue to do moving forward. Um, but I thank you guys. Thank you for letting me be a part of this conversation and this discussion and allowing me to listen and learn your points of view um, today. So I just wanted to say thank you right off the bat. Jordan, of course, we're so happy to have you. And thanks for being part of this really important conversation. There's been so much going on globally, but more specifically in our country. With the recent murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, we've been seeing protests erupt all over the country, demanding justice, calling for equal rights, and highlighting the systemic racism that is deep-rooted in America. To the group, what were your initial emotions after witnessing what happened to George Floyd as a result of police brutality? For me, um, you know, hearing his last words, obviously, like, I can't breathe. That was bad enough. But the simple fact that he was yelling for his mom, that hit the ballpark for me, because obviously I'm raising a black son here in America. And that hit me, you know, in my gut really hard. And, you know, we've seen a lot of these videos happening to our brothers. But at the end of the day, just just hearing George Floyd, like screaming for his mom, for his last words, you know, taking his last breath, that was gut wrenching. That that hit home to me, and um, you know, I I really felt for that. Like as a mom, obviously raising a black child in in this country, so that that was like bad enough for me. There, I I was just very very emotional, and um, the first time I actually saw that video, the news was on in our living room, and my son was playing with his toys in the living room. You know, I'm. I'm doing laundry. I'm, um, you know, doing some chores, like kind of in and out of the living room and not even knowing what was on TV. And then I kind of stop in the middle of the living room and seeing the knee on George Floyd's neck and my son's watching it too. And I didn't know what was exactly happening in that moment. And then, you know, once he was like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I was like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, he was gone. And then my son looked over at me abruptly and was like, did he die? And I'm like, yeah. And for my eight-year-old to witness something like that, I, that, it was horrible. And I already had to have a talk with him. You know, I, I had to explain to him, you know, in very simple words, obviously, because he's not understanding the magnitude of things in life right now. But just for him to witness something like that and for him to scream for his mom, too, I, that 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 hit a home run for me. I, I was done and, and mentally tired. I was very emotional for days and I still am even thinking about, I'm trying really hard to hold tears back, but 
um, it, it was just horrible. It, it truly was on, on a different level for me as, as a mother. Kobe, Crystal? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think it was, I think the black community has seen videos like this uh, for so long. And sadly, this was one of many, you know, and I think it took something like this for everybody to really see that this is what's going on in the black community, you know, and, um, you know, for it to be on the news, for it to really make the headlines that it did, obviously, it's a tough thing, especially for his family to be, you know, in the middle of everything too. I mean, this is someone that they love. This is someone that they know. And, and, and now their death was kind of publicly displayed. Um, and I think just for me, it was, it was just an insight on, on just knowing like, this is, this has to stop, you know? And I think that was really what hit me hard was just knowing that it's, it, it's really enough. I think I've heard that word from so many people I've spoken to, like enough is enough. Like we are tired of having the same conversations. We're tired of, you know, these deaths happening and people saying, oh, you know, and then moving on. And, and I, I just feel like what I've heard and gathered from a lot of people during this time is that something feels different. And, you know, and I think sadly we lost someone and in the way we lost this person, um, I do think it has sparked this change that I kind of take away knowing that changes are happening. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing more people, uh, even just what Jordan just said just now about learning, wanting to learn, being more educated. And um, I think that's the only real positive we can take away from this, you know, like I said, terrible display of someone's life just being taken um, in broad daylight with, with cameras watching, with multiple police officers standing by thinking that this is okay. Um, and I just, like I said, enough is enough. And uh, I just hope that it does spark the change that we need. Yeah, I would I would agree with uh, what we just heard from Crystal and Jessica. I mean, this is uh, it, it was a terrible situation. And what stood out for me more than anything else is that this was a culmination. I mean, we saw what happened with Ahmaud Arbery just not too long before this. And then this comes about and we see what happened with Brianna. And all of a sudden you're seeing it's one after another. And the George Floyd situation, scarily enough, wasn't anything new. Is that it was just a culmination of what was going on, and it happened in such a short time frame that I think we've seen that the moment where you know we have decided, as Crystal said, this is enough. Where it personally um, affected me, where I saw it on my phone the first time, so I saw it in the raw footage where you see the people standing around screaming at the police officers to do something to not let this happen and to see see just the disregard as an officer is on the neck and i didn't even know at the time that there were two other officers standing you know sitting on his back and on his legs and when i saw that as well i was i was disturbed and you know being a father of two young children and seeing this i got emotional and and probably one of the scariest things for me i've seen these things before and i've almost gotten numb to it which is scary but this time with the culmination of it all, I had trouble sleeping. I I was waking up in the middle of the night, having moments and dreams of it, thinking like that there's some type of danger always present now. And that was a little bit, that was the most disturbing part for me is just thinking that I don't feel safe in my own home with everything that was going on, that it could affect me to the point that I would be waking up 
constantly and affecting me days later. And, and you throw in the, the part that Jess mentioned, him calling out, George Floyd calling out for his mama. And his mother had passed away. So that, that throws in another dynamic for me is his mother wasn't alive. Was that the moment he thought, I'm about to join her in heaven and he's calling out to her? Or was that a moment where he, he put himself as a two-year-old kid and he was helpless reaching out for his mama? And so that rocked me to the core. And it also rocks me to the core when you see Ahmaud Arbery going out for a jog. How many of us have just gone out for a jog by ourselves? You're telling me we can't go out and get fit without having to worry about someone taking our life? Uh, man, you know, it, it is one of those feelings that it, no matter how strong we've been to, to deal with the racism throughout our life, you know, so, uh, moments like this really open you up and make you vulnerable. And I haven't allowed myself to be vulnerable until, until these, you know, until this, these, these past months. Um, how do you guys feel towards the protests that have been going on across the country and the world and, and the rioting? What are your thoughts on, on that? I'll go since uh, I skipped the last one. Um, for me, I mean, to see the protests all over the world is, is amazing. The solidarity, we need that. I mean, um, we, we need the white people to come to come out and, and support us during those protests um, and to, to see that other people other than us black people are, are angry um, and, and want change. Um, so that's really, for me, that's positive to see. Um, yeah, the rioting and, and the looting and, and all that stuff, that's, that's um, yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um, I, I don't agree with it, but there's angry people out there that have been dealing with this every day for their lives. So um, I, I don't support it, but I can, I can understand that people are just fed up and, and like Crystal said, enough is enough and, and they want to be heard. And this, this, that's the only way that they feel that they will be heard. And Zach, for you, that's coming from across the ocean, right? In Germany, you're, you're seeing this and you were part of protests there. What was that experience like for you knowing that you weren't even in the United States, but you know, so much going on here when you're in a different country to see what that was like there as well? Yeah, it was really, it was, I mean, I, first of all, it, it was tough just to be over here and watch those videos. Um, I, I couldn't finish the videos, um, actually, um, just to watch those videos and be so far and just feel helpless and, and like we all felt angry, mad, um, disrespected. Um, yeah, um, it, it was tough. Um, and it's been tough. Uh, so I'm just continuing to try to have conversations with, with people and, and spread awareness and then trying to create um, yeah, a better place for, for, for everybody. Zach, I've been so moved with the, the Bundesliga players and staff and coaches. And racism is a global issue. Like, let's not get fooled and think this is just America. You know, I've seen posts where Europeans are like, man, it's too bad what's happening in America. I've, I have black friends there. You know, no, this is a global issue. How are the German players showing support for the American black play players and black people there, but also trying to handle the racism within Germany. How, what have those conversations been like? What are players asking you? I know you, you're walk, walking out and in, 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 in protesting in Dusseldorf. Are people feeling the same way? Yeah. Uh, 
at least from what I've seen in, in the conversations I've heard, I've had with my teammates and, and, um, and my friends here, yeah, people are feeling the same way. Um, we want change. And, and um, yeah, like you said, there's racism everywhere. Um, and people just, the people who are anti-racist just can't understand why people just learn to hate us. Um, it just blows my mind. Um, but yeah, we, we, we obviously need to change that. This is not an easy, easy conversation or topic um, to, to dig into, but, you know, I appreciate you guys all taking the time because, you know, this, this can make a, a tremendous impact, not only for, you know, um, the, the current listeners, but the next generation, maybe it's a child listening, maybe it's a parent of a, of a kid listening that needs some inspiration, that needs some hope um, or, or needs some to be educated. And so, um, you know, I've personally been a, a victim of racism throughout my life uh, since I was a little boy, um, even from my own grandmother. Um, you know, this is family. When you when you when you hear racism as a, a second grader um, from from your own family, your blood, uh, you know, it, it rocks you to the core. And I think that was the first time I really felt it. Um, Kobe, you, you were the first black player I saw playing. Um, for the U.S. Men's National Team back in the early '90s, uh, when I just learned about the game, you were the you were the guy, you were the face that I could look at you and say, "I identify with Kobe Jones. That's my hero. That's my role model. There's someone that looks like me. I can play this sport and be accepted." And it seemed like everyone loved you, and you got along with everybody. Um, what was it like for you, with, growing up in in California? that was a predominantly white sport and how did you, how did you cope? how did you make it? Well, well, thank you for that. And, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate, uh, everything you said there. And as far as how it was growing up in, in Southern California, in the suburbs, you know, to be quite honest, it was, it was lonely. <laughs> it was lonely because I, I can say within my community, I think there are maybe one or two other black families. So they're not a whole lot of faces, you know, to, to really see and relate to on a daily basis. And when you talk about, you know, playing soccer it is even less of a <laughs> less black families involved in the sport. Um, it was difficult at times. I experienced racism throughout as a, as a young child, as you said, where there are, there are comments. I can still remember some comments today, just some basic ones. I won't repeat everything, but just like a situation where I remember my grandmother sitting with me and my mom and we were on the sidelines and I had just scored a goal and we were winning a game. And there was another parent from another team saying, you know, why do they have to be in this sport? They already got all the other sports. You know, why do they have to play and play and take soccer too? You know, and as a young kid, I, I could figure that out, what he was talking about and what he meant by all that, that a black kid was doing well in a sport and he was offended that maybe I was going to be uh, overshadowing his child. You know, those are the type of things that I grew, grew up with and it was difficult. What got me through all this was my grandmother and my parents and especially my mom. My mom and, and my dad, they grew up in Mobile, Alabama during segregation. When you see all the, 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 the stories about Martin Luther King and you hear about him preaching to the, the young girls in the community and talking about the church services and everything, my mom was one of those girls. You know, So she had gone through much more than I had. 
So she always told me, keep your head up, stay strong, and make sure that you understand that you have people that are behind you in your family that are willing to support you. No matter what the outsiders say, you stand up, keep your head high, because you are just as good at good as, and she would say, and better than most of those other people. So keep going ahead and moving forward. And one of her favorite lines was always to say, beat your best, you know, just within the sports world. Always do a little bit better and make sure that you take care of yourself first. And that, and that was something that I had to look back at a lot, you know, throughout those years. And I had to think on a lot, you know, when I was uh, facing racism or facing different issues, you know, that a young black child in a predominantly white sport and white neighborhood had to deal with. And you talk about how key that role was for your mother, right? And having that open conversation with you is uh, on how to handle racism. Is that something that you've brought with you now into being a father? And, um, you know, what are you telling your children? You know, it's a, thanks for that question. You know, it's an interesting thing is, I always get that question. People always think that I kind of tone it down, but I don't. I give it direct and straight exactly what's happening because I don't think kids are stupid. They have an an idea. They might not grasp everything that's going on, but you need to be straightforward with them because it's the real world and this is the world that we live in. So trying to shelter them from that, for me, is a mistake, but just letting them know exactly what happens, but also giving them, as we say, the tools to cope with it and deal with it and let them know that they're safe and sound is, is how I deal with it. I don't, I don't hide anything. When they ask if, if someone died or what's going on, I give it straight up. This is it. But these, but these are the things of how we can prevent that in the future, how you can make it better in the future, how I am protecting you now to make sure that you're safe. Kobe, did you ever feel it on the soccer field in college or, or, as a professional or on in the national team, do you ever feel it in the locker room? Do you ever see any racism on the field when you're playing? Did anyone ever say anything to you and you kind of just had to play right through it or did you react? Uh, There's, as we all know, there's racism everywhere and it doesn't stop once we walk into the locker room. It's there. It's on your team, maybe toned down because it's a teammate. You know, it's, it kind of, goes up a notch when you're on the field and you're facing other people. You know, it, it, I've had it on my MLS team. I've had it on the national team. I've had it from the fans walking out to the field. You know, I've had fans screaming in my face, everything. And, and it's from a variety of different backgrounds, racist comments. You know, they don't stop once the, once the, the game starts. Let's put it that way. So, yes, I felt it all the time. It's about being able to handle it. Now, I think one of the great things about sports is that it gives you some of those tools that I talk about as an adult to handle all these things, to understand that I can push beyond what that individual is trying to do to me right now to to belittle me, and that I know that I can fight, I can continue to fight, I can continue to push through, and when it hurts, I'm going to keep on going, you know, and not to care so much about what that other person's saying. I think that's really hard for me to hear because, like, I I don't want anybody to have to feel like they have to handle something. You know, and I just want to say, you know, Crystal was my teammate. Uh, Jess, we were never teammates, but Crystal, like, I apologize. Like, I, I can't. I, I wish I could go back and say certain things that maybe came up that I, like, we were just kind of saying. Maybe I didn't know in the locker room I was doing something that um, did have a racial undertone in it. But 
um, I hope that I can learn from these conversations, right? And these, these ideas that, um, words are powerful. And, um, I, I think right now I want to talk, Kobe just mentioned that, you know, Charlie's asking him about the locker room and the fields, Jess, Crystal, you, you know, do you guys, have you guys felt that? Have you guys, um, felt like you had to handle things even within being in a team? I mean, personally for me, I, I don't recall a situation in a locker room with my own teammates where I felt like, yeah, there's a racial undertone here or, you know, I'm going to have to pull this person aside and kind of set them straight on something that they said that could have offended me or a teammate or anything. But, you know, yeah, I, you know, I play in a game, you know, you're on social media, you see pictures of you and, and there's comments, there's comments about me and, you know, my skin tone Oh, that black girl, like, why is that black girl in the photo? Get that black girl, like things like that, where it's like, you know, what can you do? You know, I think from a young age, anyone who is black has realized that you have to, we've been taught and raised to turn the other cheek. We've been taught to, you know, be the bigger person. And I think that is why we're in such a crucial time right now, because we're tired of being the bigger person. We don't want uh, a teammate to just be able to say something and then, you know, to be the bigger person, you want to just get along and you brush it under the rug and move on and things like that. But I think now we are in a position to say it's not okay and it won't be okay and it's never going to be okay ever again we're not going back to when things were okay brushed under the rug and we're now moving forward so for me you know i haven't faced a whole lot of racism like colby i grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood too where it was my family and that was it you know and i being on the soccer field it was just me being in the classroom it was just me and um i felt like my my parents protected me though. They, they told me from a young age, don't let anyone make you feel less than don't let people make you feel inferior. And you know, when you're young, you're kind of like, what do you mean? You okay, mom, dad, like nothing's happened yet. I don't know why you're overwhelming me with this idea, but then you get a little older and you realize from a young age, from two, three, four, five years old, they're telling you to be prepared for what society is going to try to do to you. And you know, everyone probably here, you know, you get older, you learn all these lessons. And I had a really long in depth conversation with my mom the other day and I'm, I'm bawling crying. And I just wanted to thank her because it, it was tough for her to, to be raised in the inner cities where they didn't have a lot, they didn't have anything. And they moved me out to Long Island to, you know, give me a better life. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, y'all did that for me to make sure I had what I needed. And even though it was hard, cause I was the only black person in that neighborhood for the most part I they they didn't care about us being different they knew that we were deserving of being in that same neighborhood that our our white neighbors were deserving of as well and you know it took a lot for them to get settled in the neighborhood that maybe people didn't want them moving in there but they said I want a better life for my my kids and that's most important and and whatever else comes our way we'll handle it so um I you know I respect what you said Colby about how family really did come in such a big way for you to just feel supported and loved because if you weren't if you weren't getting that outside you needed to have that safe space to come home to and and lean on those that you knew were there for you no matter what Jess how about you speak to your experience yeah yeah literally same as Crystal and as as Kobe um, my grandmother helps raise my brother, Brandon McDonald and I, and she grew up in Alabama and she witnessed some things that 
I couldn't even imagine seeing with my own eyes. And so she moved from Alabama. She moved from the South and all the way to good old Glendale, Arizona. And it surprises people when, you know, they ask me where I'm from. I'm like Glendale. And they're like, where, we don't even know where that is, you know? And obviously like we grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. We were that one black family, but everybody knew who we were because we were that one family, you know, but my grandmother, she had nine children. So you can imagine how big our family was in that city. And we kind of took over that city with, with some pride because my grandmother instilled that in us. If you're going to be doing this, you better be better than everybody else in that classroom. If you're going to be doing this, you better be better than every white girl out there on that field. That was our speech before any and everything. First day of school, you better be getting straight A's because I bet you that white girl next to you is going to be getting straight A's and you have to prove yourself. You have to carry yourself in a different manner when you're in this situation and this situation. And as a kid, you're like, oh, pump the brakes. I have no idea what you're talking about. Because first and foremost, you know, my brother and I obviously were playing a predominantly white sport, which is soccer. And so um, she would set us aside and give us these like black speeches. Like, look, you have to carry yourself and you have to be the best out there. You have no choice. And that's because you're black. And so me and Brandon, we were like, why? We don't understand. And then we got older and we came to more of an understanding as to why. Because we started to experience things ourselves. You know, my brother, he's he's much darker than me. So obviously he's he's gotten it, you know, uh, probably more than I have uh, a lot of hatred, but, you know, we, we carried ourselves. We, we turned the other cheek, just like Crystal said, that's how we were raised, but we had to turn the other cheek with bravery. That was always my grandmother's thing. She was like, you need to be brave all the time. You, you have no choice, you know? And so that was just a beautiful thing for my grandmother to instill in all of us, you know, because we have such a big family, but she was able to take control of that she she's always been the backbone of the family to obviously teach us the real history things that we don't be we don't get taught in school you know we we learn about mlk we learn about rosa parks and malcolm x and that's it it's like oh that that's it yeah we knew slavery existed but we didn't know how severe it really was because they didn't really tell us you know that it wasn't part of our history books you know to learn more so about our history so i got more of those lessons from my grandmother because she she'd been there she'd done that she witnessed lynching. She she witnessed brothers getting beat for no reason, you know. And so um, for her to carry that over, get us out of that, she didn't want our family in Alabama. She didn't want our family experiencing any of those things. But she did prepare us if and when we did experience those those situations. Zach, can you share some of your personal experiences dealing with racism? Yeah, I mean <clears> – <throat> uh, like some of you guys, I mean, I, I was privileged enough to grow up in a in – a, a predominantly white neighborhood, um, white suburb. Um, so I didn't have too many issues or experiences with racism. Um, but I can, yeah, my parents definitely have, um, have had, have had stories, um, of people just coming up to them, belittling them, um, asking about these three little black kids, cause I have two black sisters. Um, about these three little black kids that <clears throat> that uh, she she's hanging out with, um, and and then I would just say, I mean, like you guys said, I mean, um, it's kind of all in the locker room a little bit here and there. I would just say mostly in the locker room, it's just jokes. I mean, yeah, they're jokes and they're friendly, but they still eat at you a little bit. They still cut cut you a little bit. Um, and, and the people who are saying those jokes just don't understand. But it, and it's funny because now that I think about it when you joke with another black person about those things, it's all funny and it's all cool. But when a white person comes along and does it, then it just like, it, it cuts you a little bit. 
Zach, Zach, real quick. In that locker room, when you have that situation, isn't it always like if, if a white person says something like that, the black players and they will oh, kind of look at each other, give the side eye, and just be like, oh, yeah. "No, yeah, there it like, is." Yeah. You know, like there it is. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's that side eye, just like, "Okay, here we go." Uh huh. You know, and like what, it always and like what, happens. Absolutely, and like what you guys said. I mean, it's always just turning the cheek and being the the bigger person, and and. And we're just tired of it now. Um, and I was raised to, to treat others how you want to be treated. Um, and the fact that that's not taught in every household is, is it's sad. Um, yeah, sad. I want to talk about that a little bit more, though, because that was like, I got to see that whole reaction from you guys, right? And I got to see that moment because you all have experienced that moment, right? Do you feel like now... If that was to happen again in a locker room, you could say something that would be heard in a different way. Well, you hope somebody else checks them. I mean, that, yeah. I, th- I think just somebody. I th- like, I, I is think, that? A, I think. It, well, that's what now, I want. Like, well, Jordan, I think now the 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 whole issue or or the hope for is that if a comment like that comes from one of your white teammates, yeah the white guy next to him is white. Another teammate who's white says, yo, you can't say that. What are Mm -hmm. you talking about? Apologize or say, you know, what use your head. Yeah. And you guys could probably think of those. Like I can't think of the comments because that hasn't happened to me. Right. So I don't, I can't pull those comments up, but each one of you is nodding your head because you know what that comment has been and because it's stuck with you. And I think that's a really good point, you know, to give actionable items to people who are listening. Like if you're a white person and you hear one of your, your white teammates say something about a black teammate, that's not right. Like stand up and be uncomfortable maybe and say something if it's not right. Yeah, Jordan, I, I would, I agree with you hundred percent on standing up, but I don't even think for most of us, at least for me and probably some of the others would agree it's it's not like we can pick out one comment because it happens so often that it's kind of it, you let it go over your head where you're just like oh there it is again there it is again where you can't keep track of them all so there it's not really knowing a specific comment even though we could probably pick out one or two some people but it happens all the time it happened all the time you know while I was with on my club team on the national team where it, it's literally where you, you go over your head now at this point in time in history it, it is what Charlie has said is like you hope someone else steps up because we're, we're tired mm-hmm. <laughs> you know tired, tired thank you of for it. sharing You're that tired yeah tired of you. it you know and you get you get sick when you get sick and tired there's almost a point where you're just like God, here we go again and and for me, a lot of the time is, and this is a different era than now. For me, a lot of the time it was like I would literally just start writing off teammates. You know, I just go, yeah, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that person, not doing anything mm-hmm. with that person, not having dinner with that person, nothing. You know that, and that's how I dealt with it because I couldn't, I didn't even want to deal with the consistent little jabs of racism that were going on. I mean, you can count the word the the the, the times that ghetto is used. You know, like ghetto is a big word that's used to to generalize and stereotype black people. And, and that's, that's one word that I think a lot of people now are thinking, Oh man, I, I have said that a ton of times and how wrong it is. But that's, that's another instance of you, you couldn't count how many times ghetto was said in a locker room. Cause it's said so often and so many times that you, now you're programmed to just say like, 
all right, that's what it is. I, I can't change it because everybody says it. So why, what am I going to waste my time trying to address this one pl- person or player to say, stop saying that it's, it's a, it's annoying me. It's offending me when it's not going to stop. That's how we've almost been all programmed to, to, to act now. It's like, okay, we can't, we can't stop it. Right. So now it's just, just deal with it. And that's, that's been the problem is we're just dealing with it. We're just trying to make the best we can with, with our surroundings and our atmosphere. So I think, you know, now I'm, I'm very hopeful that people are awoken. They're, they're woke and they're ready to act now and, and not let those, those little microaggressions, um, you know, happen as much as they do. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for letting me ask the questions and um, being so willing to help and share. And like I said at the beginning, learn and unlearn things too, right? Um, I know we've only got a little bit more time left with Jess, so I want to make sure I I address something that I saw. Um, you had a tweet to your son, Jeremiah. Um, and I know Jeremiah from the world cup last year, I got to spend some time with him as you and crystal were dominating on the field. Um, I got to know this little guy and he is amazing. I think that's one of the words you could definitely use to describe him. Your tweet said you are handsome. You are strong. The color of your skin is perfect and your sweetheart is loved. You're a great human. You care, you love, and you matter. I love you, son. Hashtag let's keep fighting. Hashtag be a good human. Um, I loved that tweet. And I just want to know for you, um, you know, you spoke a little bit about it earlier, but how have you been raising him to talk about race, right? And how much has this affected what what's happened affected to maybe some of the conversations you are now having with him? Yeah, so right now, um, I think he's starting to understand race, because like throughout his life, I would be like, son, you're black. He'd be like, no, like I'm, I'm brown. What do you mean? And then, you know, it'll be like a white person sitting next to him. They'd be like, oh, they're vanilla. And then he'd call black people like, oh, that's a chocolate man. So he like named flavors for people. So like he still kind of does sometimes, but now he's starting to understand like, okay, I know I'm black and he un- he understands that part. But it's, it's kind of difficult to educate him so much on our history because he, he loves life we'll watch like planet earth on Netflix together, for example. And he's like, Oh my gosh, mom, the trees. Oh my gosh, look at the birds. And, you know, and since COVID has happened, I'm like, buddy, we're taking care of the trees and like all the animals are like doing really well because people aren't trashing the earth. And he's just like very emotional about like tears just pouring down his face. So when it comes to life and nature, the kid has so much passion for it. And so I'm happy he's that way. Cause I want him to be that way about any and everything, any and everybody. And he knows to treat people with kindness. So he's been, he's taken judo lessons. Everyone keeps asking me, oh, is he playing soccer? And I'm like, not quite, but um, you know, it's there's gonna come a time where he's gonna witness bullying, whether if it's a race thing or not, you need to be able to protect yourself for one thing. Secondly, protect other people, love other people, treat them with respect, but you know, know if someone lays hands on you, you better protect yourself, you know? So little things like that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to instill that in him and still bravery, but also instill love. And so he has a very, he goes to a very diverse school. And so his last birthday party, which was so lit, you guys, by the way, um, you know, he has every race at his birthday parties from Asian. He has a couple Asian kids, 
white, blacks, like you name it, we have it. And that's like a very beautiful thing to see. So I want him to continue to be surrounded by that. And not only that, obviously he's traveling with me a lot with soccer. So he's experiencing different ethnicities, different nationalities, different everything. And so I want to continue to surround himself, to, to surround him with that, you know, to see how life truly is. But when it boils down to him experiencing racism, which he actually has, and it's kind of a sad story, but, um, you know, I'm going to have to teach him some kind of way to obviously handle himself. What am I going to tell my kid? I have no idea, you guys. But it's sad that it's 2020 and I have to have that speech with my son. I'm going to have to be prepared one day when he does come to more of an understanding because he's only eight. But I give it a couple more years and he's going to really understand um, life in general in more in more of a complex and um, and understand the the magnitude of it all. So I have no idea what I'm going to say to him, but I'm going to continue to do my best to raise a good human being because that's exactly what he is. And not to brag, but, you know, my, my kid is dope. So and he gets along with everybody. So um, <laughs> it's just a beautiful brag. thing to to be a part of. <laughs> that's dope. You got to brag about that. Also, Jess, I also hope we get to a point where people are not coming up to you saying, how are you going to teach your son? How are, what are you going to tell your son? But in more so, it's about what are you going to teach your child to make sure that my child doesn't have to be a victim of racism or mm. is feeling different mm-hmm. because of the color of his skin. So, you know, for me, if people come up to me like, oh, you know, it's just been having conversations with their son. I want to get to a point in time where I could say it's not about a black boy, a black young girl growing up. It's about everybody else who's making their life hard because of the color of their skin. So, yes. you know, if somebody stops me and asks, I'm going to let them know that very thing. Yes. Please, please <laughs> do. Continue educating. Yeah. Please, educate please do. Yes. I'm with you. Educate all mm-hmm. the youth, for sure. Absolutely. To kind of follow, bring soccer into the equation, uh, was soccer and is it currently still a place for you to feel like you escape from racism or discrimination? Has it been that escape for you guys? And, um, you know, this is open to whoever wants to comment. I think it depends on the day. (laughs) Fair enough. I think it really does depend. I think uh, we've all been blessed to have a skill and to be able to play at the highest level, which I think is incredible because I think representation is so, so important. Um, But I do think it does not matter how much money you're making, uh, what level you're playing at, you are susceptible to racism. Um, I think that just speaks volumes knowing that it's it's a color of your skin that separates you and that makes people feel like you are a threat or that you are less than. Um, and so I do think playing this sport has given us uh, you know, so much of life. It's given me an education, it's given me really amazing friends that I still have till this day from even young, young, young when I was playing. But I do think it does depend on a day. You know, Monday to Thursday could be great. I could be feeling, you know, on cloud nine, um, just just, you know, emerged in my sport. And I do think, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday could be comments on a social media post or, uh, you know, someone saying something to you. So I just think it's important that everyone realizes that black people love this sport. Black people love to be uh, as talented as just the next person. However, we come into our sport with stress, with pressure, uh, pressure to be our very best because we're putting not just ourselves on the map, but we are carrying our community. 
Um, that's how all I, I've personally felt. I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I would hope to believe that all the black people here uh, have felt this pressure to to make it to the top because you want someone to see themselves in you. It, it could be the very difference of you now being on this team representing, you know, your national team, your club team, and a, and a little girl or boy is saying, I know I can be there now because I look like that person. I know I can can reach that level and I feel more confident and comfortable, as Charlie mentioned. Uh, just seeing someone go down that road already gives you that encouragement to continue on and, and achieve the same dream as them. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's it's incredible that we are in this in this sport that uh, has been accepting to some. But I do think that we have a problem um, still and it, it doesn't leave when you step on the field and it doesn't leave when you go home. Charlie, hold on one sec. Jess, do you need to leave? I do. I have okay. to get you guys. Thank you so much. Can you- um, yeah, really. Thank you. Gosh. Thank yeah, you. no problem. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Have a good one, y'all. Bye. Thanks. Okay. Zach, um, we've spoken about a lot about everyone's personal experiences as a player. Uh, I'm wondering how much diversity you see among staff, you know, in Germany, during your time in MLS, technical front office around the clubs, leagues, and, and even the national teams slash federation. Uh, what do you think needs to be done um, to, to get more black people involved? Uh, that's a good question, man. I mean, yeah, I've never had a black goalie coach. Um, I don't know if, yeah, I might, might've had one black head coach in high school. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I mean, who knows? I don't know if, if there's more black in the, in the more black people in, in the, in the clubs and the staffs, I mean, yeah, it would be, I feel like maybe we would have these conversations years earlier. Um, and they would help help us deal with some of the the racial stuff that we see and the the, the stuff that we we go through. Um, and they could kind of be like a father figure um, for 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 us um, because the 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 white coaches they don't they don't understand um, really the off the field life for us and uh, what we have to deal with. Like you said, Crystal, the the pressures of of bringing your family along and then you want to bring your friends and all your loved ones in your community because they, they've supported you so much and done so much for you. Um, that you want to give back to them. Um, they, yeah. Um, the white coaches and stuff, they don't, they don't understand that. Um, and, and yeah, there's no, I, I don't know if I've ever met a black GM, black sporting director. Um, so it'd be nice if, if those things would change, but I don't, it's hard to say how they would change because everything's about connections in the soccer world. Um, so it's tough to, it's tough to say. Crystal, what are your thoughts on the diversity? Yeah, I am with Zach. I have never seen a, a black owner, uh, a black GM. There's hardly any black coaches, even in the collegiate level, I feel like, um, and none in the pros. Um, so I do think uh, these conversations will be easier, would have been easier had, you know, we had people in higher um, positions to be able to go to and feel comfortable going to them. But the reality is, yeah, they, we can't relate to, to hardly anyone except, you know, maybe our handful of black teammates that we have, because, you know, when we, we wear our skin all the time, you know, when we go home, we're still black. When we go to the fields, we're still black. So I think um, that connection could be stronger. It could allow us to have more of an escape and more of a route to discuss these tough issues because 
you know, it, it's just sad that we've come to this point where we have to wait for something so disastrous to happen for the world to open up and have these conversations. And I do think the small little communities that I've been a part of um, have vowed to be better and be more open-minded. And I think that's great, but I think that can really also happen with people of color in these hierarchy positions and, and, and allow a route for things to be uh, able to change quicker and easier. Kobe, um, how have you found your post-playing career in TV and media? Um, and have you run into any discrimination? Because I'm just getting into broadcasting and I've realized there aren't many black commentators in that space. H how have you found it? Uh, I, I think I think it's a it's very different, you know, and because we're we're in the soccer world as far as MLS is concerned, it's re MLS national team. It's really just kind of starting out, so everyone's kind of finding their position. The opportunities, I think, you know, as you know. There's very few spots, you know, for in these positions. So it makes it difficult to get into those positions. And the people that are in there, they may be what a certain network or whatever, what they what they want. And it shuts out, you know, certain types of people, you know. So maybe it is like people of color that are having difficulty difficulty getting into that into that situation. But I do have to jump back to the, the previous question. As as far as um in upper management, um, uh, you know, ownership, whatever, teams, national teams. That's a problem. It's a problem that needs to be addressed and needs to, 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 to change, to be quite honest. The opportunities need to be there for not just people of color, but for black people. Because we are seeing an increase in players that are, are, are black on the men's game, the women's game, we're seeing it go up within within the different leagues on both sides, on the national team on both sides, but the representation is still minuscule, if at all. And when you're talking about the opportunity for players to actually discuss something, it's not always just about, okay, I need to talk to uh, my my GM or the president of the club. It, it could be someone just, just in a higher position that they can relate you know, and that's what I, I think what Zach and Crystal are talking about. You need to be able to relate to someone, but there is no one there for black players to really go to and say, this is what I'm going through. These are the issues that I'm having. So that that, that needs to be a situation where there needs to be um, more hiring, more opportunities given. And I'm not saying, oh, just throw out, yeah, just hire you just because. But there are a lot of qualified black people that I know have looked into positions but have been denied for just because it's been filled up by somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's all. But it always seems to be filled up by somebody else. Not just <laughs> checking a box. Not, yeah. You're not, you're not just <laughs> yeah. trying to check a box just to say, yeah. uh, look, we have our one black commentator or we have our one black analyst, but then the other, other five or six are white. Yeah, you know, I don't, just to I don't check, want a, it. check a box. Right? I don't want it just to check a box. But at least have the, you know, the conversation, you know, to say, OK, if this person's qualified, bring them in there. I, I just think it's if you look and because we're talking about it, we know it's an issue. If you look across the board, you're telling me there's not more black people that could fit into some of those positions that. And as Zach said, as Zach said, and it's very important, it's about who, you know, you know, that that is a big issue. I think that that needs to be addressed, needs to be looked at because we need. People in those positions that can be mentors to the players that are there now and that are, are coming up. 
and those people not only not only are athletes the ones that kids can look at and say, hey, I could be, you know, in that position. It's also the owners, the presidents, the GMs that kids can look up to and say, hey, I could be in that position. We need that. Right. Yeah. Those are all really good points, you guys. And one of the things that I've, um, you know, I've mentioned, I've been reading a lot of um, statements and posts and educating myself over these last few weeks. And, you know, I'm, I too am sad it's taken that long for me to, to do those things. But Crystal, I, you, your post, your, your statement really hit me because I've worked with Kobe on games. I know Charlie and I are both in broadcasting. Um, and your words of strong athletic, having power, having pace, being the things that broadcasters lead with, or that's all they can speak to, um, for your attributes that hit me because I first want to say, I apologize if I have ever led in that way, because I know you, Crystal, and you are strong. I know you because you've pushed me off the ball a lot, but I also know you because you've been my teammate and the things that you've said in meetings and the way you position yourself on the field, man, you are a intelligent footballer, right? And an intelligent human. And so I am, I think for me, this is a real tangible, right? This is something that I can change within my me going forward, um, and how I broadcast. And so I just want to know for, for you, um, we'll start with you, Crystal, but just how that makes you feel when you are listening back to a game. And that's what you hear yourself referred to as. Yeah. I mean, just going back to my post, I felt that it was very fitting for this time because we all want to take action. We all want to not just, you know, post a message and then kind of say, all right, let's wait for somebody else to do something. So, you know, in my post, I basically challenged coaches, announcers, commentators, obviously sports media as well, um, because I do think that it starts with the narrative. It starts with how black people are portrayed, you know, and I think, you know, I am strong. I am athletic. I do not want those qualities to leave me because I need those to like dominate on the field, obviously. However, um, I think from a young age, coaches see a player they see that they're athletic and strong and fast and they say you're going to play in this position and that's what you're going to do and we're going to develop you into this role they don't allow that player i feel like a lot of the time to become a well-rounded player get better technically or if they're already technically technical they they are shoved into positions and told you are fast you're going to do this you're going to do this and i think from it starts with a young age so i did challenge coaches uh if, if they do have black players on their team i said to you know, really allow them to grow into the player that they need to be and not just put them in a box, say, you're fast, you're going to be a wide player, you're going to just do this work, you know. And, you know, obviously, I shared just my story feeling like uh, there's always been a debate around my game. I play multiple positions, yes. And the the topic has always been brought up and people have said it's because she's athletic. And that makes me cringe so much because I'm not even the most athletic on all my teams. And to say that anyone who is athletic has the ability to see the game and understand the game the same way, just, yeah, just, it really just upsets me. But uh, I've really never said anything. And I think it only took me until this time to really say, you know what, I'm going to say, say my message because there's so many people that I know are in the same position as me because Black players get labeled before we even step foot on the field. We're told we're fast. We're going to just be in this little category. And then that's it. 
And um, I think it needs to change. And I think that is something that everyone can change. Like you said, I'm really happy you said that because it really starts with learning, growing, educating yourself and, and wanting to be educated. And um, I think that's just something that coaches and, and announcers and commentators can totally control and, and try to just be mindful of it. Cause that's really what it is. It's just being mindful. It's not like you're a malicious person. It's not like you're doing it because uh, you are racist in any way. That's, that's not what my message was about. It's just about people being more mindful and knowing that those qualities that black people possess are actually the same qualities that pose us as a threat in society. Oh, we're strong. We're, you know, we're powerful. That's what gets people calling the cops on us. Those are the character traits that we're associated yeah. with. That, yeah, intimidating. Oh, we're, you know, we're aggressive. And even if that could be the case on the field, you know, at the end of the day, we're competitors. We want to have the qualities that are going to help us get the job done. But it translates into society. And I don't think a lot of people know that. They don't know that we get the cops called on us just for looking like we're aggressive or the color of our skin just poses as a threat. And I would like us to change that. I would like us to shape the narrative and 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 really go a different way because for so long it's been talked about, then brushed on the rug, then talked about, and I just think now is the time that you know we can we can really make a big change. Crystal, I'm so glad that you you wrote that letter for people to to read and grasp because we're about to get back on the field with games, NWSL. Uh, in, in Germany, Zach, you, you guys are playing right now, but you just got back on the field. That's got to feel good to be running around. How have you found it or have you found it difficult to concentrate or has it been a, a much needed release? The, these preseason for you, Crystal and, and Zach now, you know, going through rehab, running on the on the field once again. Is this a release or, you know, is it difficult to still, you know, do those things that you've always done? You got it, Crystal. <laughs> uh, uh, for me, it's um, it's been really, really amazing to be back with my team. Uh, we actually had an incredible conversation a couple of days ago. Just, you know, the black players. I'm fortunate to have seven black girls on my team. Shout out. It's been lovely because I really don't feel alone. And uh, for so long, we are pretty much the only ones on our team holding it down. And I think it was it was really necessary for us to address the team and just to share how we feel and um, to give them a little taste of what it's like to be us. I think a lot of people don't know, and we don't share a lot because, you know, I don't want to come into a, to a training kind of burden people as I feel like I'm burdening people with stresses that go on in my life. But I think now is the time to be open. It's the time for our teammates to see, uh, the world through our eyes and really see, uh, you know, what we go through on a daily basis, the pressure that we we constantly face, how it, like I spoke before about how making it to the highest level is not a just, not a just about, you know, you worked really hard and you got there, but it's, it's really for a black person. It's about how do I stay here? How do I not be complacent? Because I, I can't afford to be complacent. I have to be, I have to be, demand excellence every single day. I have to be the best person and player possible because I don't want to get forgotten because there aren't so many of us that make it to that level. So uh, I think, you know, my teammates were very receptive of it. They they understood, they asked questions. And that's what I love the most is like, it's not uncomfortable. I want people coming to me. I want people asking me questions. And that's the dialogue we need to have. I think for so long, you know, a white player doesn't feel comfortable asking a black player about something that's going on in their life because they're like, oof, this is a race thing. It's, it's uncomfortable. And I'm like, I want to change that. I don't think it should ever be uncomfortable to speak about 
people's issues or, or situations that they're going through. Um, and I think that's what I, I've taken away from this situation, just being more open with my teammates and having them uh, want to and encourage them to ask me questions. Yeah, that was one of, oh, go ahead, Zach. You can go, Jordan, if you want. Oh, I, I want to hear your answer because I do want to follow up on that, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, first of all, it's nice to get back out on the field and, and be running around and, and yeah, doing the things we love. And, um, <clears throat> yes, yeah, it's, it's life's kind of almost back to normal. But I mean, with with the whole coronavirus and now this, I mean, life is just, uh, yeah, like you guys know, is weird. Um, so I've been having conversations. Yeah, every day with with teammates. Um, about they they have so many questions about what's going on in America, um, <laughs> Donald Trump, um, and uh, yeah, they just have a lot of questions about racism, um, and because they they and for me, I I can see that they just don't understand it. They don't they haven't really thought about it, and and um, they're kind of in shock as well um, over here. They're just mind blown by what's going on. Um, and are just trying to get answers um, and, and want to get, want to support me and, and just want to get more educated, which is good, which is, makes me feel positive um, about all, all the, all this. Any particular conversations that you guys have had that have stuck out or have led you to, um, you know, feel like there's continuing progression or hope or, you know, movement in the right direction? Um, I mean, just having these conversations, just, I'm just trying to, I mean, I, I have created this platform, but I'm trying to just continue to have these conversations daily with athletes, um, and different professionals, um, who have either witnessed racism, um, experienced it or, or, um, understand it or, um, yeah, have seen somebody else, um, been racist or, or have seen it happen. Um, we just want to have conversations um, because we need to have these conversations. We've, like we've said, we've been brushing them off for, for years, for our whole lives. Um, so it's about time that we have these conversations uh, and it's okay if they're um, the same ones over and over again, um, they're important. They are important. I think for, for me, I have looked at this and I have had, you know, I mentioned Crystal and I were teammates. I ha I've had so many black teammates over the years and that those conversations uh, never came up, right? Because um, there was an uncomfortability about it from my standpoint too, right? Like I didn't feel like I had the, the strength to ask the things that I maybe wanted to ask, like coming from a white woman that it might have been awkward. Um, what I'm continuing to learn and I've learned in other areas of my life is like it's growth is uncomfortable right and we have to be uncomfortable and that's okay um so I I personally as a white woman am saying it's okay to feel uncomfortable and ask the questions right and and start the conversations I want to know from you guys and your point of view you know this is a U.S. soccer podcast this is going out to hopefully a lot of athletes who are a part of a lot of teams who are a part of a lot of clubs and we can start where we can start right within those teams. What's maybe some advice you can give to teams in order to 
foster these conversations and start the conversation or really start to make change? Well, if I, if I could speak up on this one real quick, I would say it's what we're doing now and it's having the conversation and talking. And I think it's really important as you're talking about not only white people, but Latino backgrounds, whatever, of asking the questions, you know, first and foremost, as Crystal kind of said, because from the black person's perspective, we are thinking that you're assuming that everything is just dandy, you know, that everything's fine. You know, and until you ask a question, then we can go, okay, they do see that there is a problem here. And then that conversation starts and we talk, we start talking about it. And once you start talking about it, it goes beyond, hopefully it goes beyond that step where then there's action and you start putting things into place. With all these uh, protests and even the rioting, we've seen it go and it's going for quite some time now. But for me, I, I want it to go beyond the flashpoint of George Floyd, where we actually start taking action, you know, in individual ways, you know, that could be from voting from top down all the way down the ballot to whichever way you want to do it, getting involved in the community, getting involved with other people of color, color, even just going and talking in with your neighbor, you know, these are the different things that, that you can do. And Sports, and for us in particular, soccer is a great avenue to start those conversations. Because if you're if you can't talk to a teammate, you know about things, who else are you going to be able to talk to? You know, it's going to be difficult to go up to a stranger. So talk to the teammate. You know, say, hey, is everything okay? What's going on? And then that may spark that conversation. Well, well, the teammate, most likely the black teammate, will go. You know what? Thanks for asking. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. Yep, I agree. I mean, I think that's great. I think also it's just, I mean, we speak about this, we've been speaking about this, but just educating yourself doesn't mean scratching the surface or or just, you know, knowing about George Floyd's death. I think, you know, so many people obviously have been woken up from that moment, but, you know, the black community has been oppressed for so long. And I use that word so many times because I think it's important people realize that it has been a system that's designed to keep a certain type of people down, you know? And I had a good conversation with a teammate who wasn't understanding. And it, and I'm so happy that she came to me and was like, I, Chris, I just don't get it. I don't understand. How can two people, one black, one white, go out for the same job, not get it, or or have the same credentials and not, you know, not not get the same job? And I really had to break it down to her that this is not something that's occurred just for the last 30 years. This was a system designed so that resources and money, funds were not going into these communities, which has left those communities, uh, you know, with lack of education, not knowing how to vote, where to vote. And I think I really want to focus my attention on the voting situation because it's it's nice when people hit the, you know, the tweet, hey, go vote. Voting is important. But voter suppression is a big issue and people don't know about it. And they say, Oh, why don't people just go vote and they'll help their communities? And it's deeper than that, you know? So when I say education, I would, you know, on this podcast, I would, if people can take anything from this, I would say educate yourself on all the issues, not just police brutality, but the voting suppression has been an issue for so long and it needs to be dismantled and it needs to be rebuilt and restructured. Crystal, Zach, have your coaches said anything to you? Have they had any conversations? Uh, I mean, Zach, your, your coaches is German. Can he, can he, uh, you know, can he come down to your, to, to your level and, and have those meaningful conversations? And, and Crystal, what about, you know, your coach in NWSL is, can he really, or she 
really, you know, relate to you? I mean, I don't know if they can relate, but I, I, they can, they've come up to me and had the, like my goalie coach and, and my, the physios have had conversations with me. Um, I mean, and that's, that's all you can ask for, right? Um, is that they're, they're seeing it, they're seeing everything that's going on. Um, and they're asking questions, they're disgusted, they're not happy, um, just like all of us. Um, and, and to see that is, is yeah, it gives me hope um, that change will come if we stick at it, if we continue to speak up and, and, and actually act on. on so there is, there, is em- there is empathy there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Germans okay. have has some empathy. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my coach uh, pulled uh, first the, the black players on the team together just to have a conversation, just to say, you know, you know, the world's turned upside down, but, you know, I'm here for you, whatever you need. I want to be educated. I read a bunch of books. Like, he he really took the initiative of of educating himself, you know, and he felt like before he can speak on this, he felt like he needed to first understand uh, to some degree before he felt comfortable approaching us. And I kind of respect that because I think a lot of people want to help. But if you don't know and you don't know what to say, sometimes it's actually okay to take a step back and 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 kind of take everything in and just listen before you do, uh, you know, post something or say something. I think people are running into a lot of issues right now, just wanting to help and then running into the fire charging, but they they don't know what to say. And, um, you know, I respect that for my coach. He pulled us aside and had that conversation and then he addressed the whole team. And um, and it starts from there, like I said. I mean, we would we would never have this this opportunity to get to know each other better. Um, and so I think it starts with this open dialogue. It starts with the comfortable feeling of wanting to, to know more, you know, and, and, you know, we're all victims of it. Sometimes, you know, especially for me, I'm, I'm not facing racism per se in my in my area that I'm living in or, or anything like that. So it's easy for me to even fall victim to what the rest of the world is going through. So I think it was just important that we acknowledge, you know, our team is accepting, our team is, is, is unified, but outside of our bubble, the world isn't like that. And it's important that we just at some point can take a step back and assess the bigger picture and not just get caught up in, in our own little worlds. Yeah. I think that's what what you guys are all saying, you know, have the conversations, educate yourself first, even a lot of the times, maybe before having those conversations so you can come to a place where of um, understanding and, and knowing a little bit more, um, always looking for ways to continue to to educate. And I think, um, one of the things that in the education piece and the policy change piece, uh, we found out this week, us soccer repealed their Anthem policy. And, um, I think I want to talk a little bit about the Federation and how is it that they can make an impact, not in just a response to the moment. Like that's what Kobe said, right? Not just a response to this, but uh, real change, real lasting change. What maybe I can start with you on that one, Kobe. Well, I think for for U.S. soccer, I think it's important that they uh, get up and running the uh, the whole diversity, you know, uh, situation within U.S. soccer in and of itself. I know that there's been issues with that uh, program or group in the past, and I think that that needs to be put front and center, you know, and and making sure that it is uh, a group 
that meets consistently and the recommendations are taken and put to heart, whatever those recommendations may be. You know, I, I understand it's always difficult to do everything to get all the wishes that you want, but, you know, having the conversation, as we say, with everything is, is the first part. So uh, getting the diversity is a big issue. Trying to try for U.S. soccer to go out and start looking at the the different hires that they have, you know, and I'll, I'll always go back to that because I think if you have people in place that are black, you know, and this is the conversation we're on, we're on right now for black people that are in positions of decision making, that are in positions of coaching, you know, that tends to help and starts to garner support from those different communities, will make players want to play more, will make players feel more comfortable. And I think that's what you want to see growing within U.S. soccer. And since U.S. soccer is it is the outfit for the whole country. If you see that at the top, then all of a sudden that kind of bleeds down into everything else, to every different soccer community, you know, within the United States. And, and you know, U.S. soccer has so much power. You know, they're the ones that, you know, that FIFA deals with, that CONCACAF deals with. And to have people of color, to have black people in those positions, actually in those dealings and negotiations, I think says something, you know, about you know, where U.S. soccer is going in the future, you know, so I think those steps, you know, need to be made. And that's probably just a few of many. Just just people in general, fans, what can they do to help? Uh, Zach, we saw last week that you started a GoFundMe. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, but before you get, before I get to that, I'd like to go back to what Kobe said. Um, I, I would, I mean, I would urge U.S. soccer to go support the black communities that are that are don't have the resources um, and don't have the, the education and, and the money to, to have these kids come up and, and have a fair chance um, an equal chance of, of doing what they want to do in life. Um, but going back to what I'm doing with the GoFundMe. Um, so yeah, I came together with Alex Cronally, uh, my good buddy from Maryland and, and Columbus Peru. Um, and, and um, yeah, we were, we were disgusted with, the whole George Floyd video and, and police brutality and, and the uh, the white supremacy in America, uh, the racism all over the world. So we, we created a platform where we want to bring in um, all types of athletes, um, all sports, um, all genders. Um, fans and, and people come to watch us, pay to watch us play. Um, they follow us on social media to to see who we are off the field. Um, they, they come to events to hang out with us um, where sometimes we get paid. I mean, um, people listen to us. We have a voice, we have a platform. Um, so I want to use the, that, our platform, our voices to, to speak for the people who um, have been silenced and, and the people who have been ignored. Um, because if we really use all the athletes and all the platforms we have, we have a lot of power. Um, and people will listen. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now. Crystal? Um, for me, it's just reaching out to various organizations that um, you know I want to put my focus on. I think it's hard to you know, take on everything. You know, there's so many things wrong in the world right now. And it's, it's, it's like I said before, it's a systematic uh, issue. Um, so for me, I stated before, but um, I'm trying to get in touch with some organizations that are going to work on educating people in lower income uh, communities to uh, allow, like help them in the voting process because it's so confusing. And I think um, what's been happening is, uh, you know, people who aren't 
maybe as educated as others are just not understanding the whole process and not also understanding that it's not about showing up in November to vote for the president. It's about your local uh, police officers, your DAs, your judges, everybody. So it's um, it starts at a, a very micro level. And I think um, that's really where I want to put my focus on and really help those communities and um, yeah, and try and make a difference because it's not enough to just vote. It's not enough to just vote once every four years, but it's it's to constantly know who is supposed to be protecting you, who is supposed to be having your best interests and um, and not letting that opportunity pass them by. Uh, Kobe, I want to take it back to 1992. Um, you're, in, you're at UCLA, LA riots. How does that compare with these times now? And do you feel like back then it was so isolated, it was kind of just LA or just California, and now it's not even the country is behind Black Lives Matter. It feels like the globe. When you see what the Bundesliga players are doing, players across Europe, the globe, they're all behind. They all are understanding. Now, that's one part of it, but now we need to see action. How do those two times relate to each other? Yeah, well, progress progress comes with uh, comes with it, right? You know, the technology and social media, you know, thank you very much for that, to kind of sparking the global, you know, aspect of this, uh, the, the, the civil the civil unrest. Um, I felt it in 92, you know, being here, at, I was at UCLA at the time, and it's it, it's different, to be quite honest, where it felt more angry in 92, you know, and it felt more localized to me and with where, where it was a lot of just straight out rioting, you know, to begin with, rather than like we're seeing a lot of civil protests with the rioting. And now we've kind of, for the most part, we're starting to tapered down while in 92, it was a lot more just rioting. And then it kind of built up into the civil protest. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, I, I feel like now there is more support now than there was back then, as far as from, you know, different cultures, from white people, from Latinos and everything. I think everyone is getting on board and supporting the black community in this and the civil protest. And I, I think that's important because it shows you know, due to technology, once again, that the message can get out, that it can spur, you know, people from all around the world to get up and get behind a good cause. Now, regardless of what you think of, uh, of, of I'm talking about the other people of George Floyd and the, the individual situation that happened there, everyone is getting behind the, the Black Lives Matter, that there needs to be some type of change for black people in what they've gone through for all the years, what we've gone through in the, the past decades, uh, hundreds of years, and trying to make that change now so it's better for us now and for our children in the future. And I think that that's probably the most important part. And I love seeing it. I love seeing it. And I, I've, I've gone out, I've participated in one of the marches that's right right around here. I, I didn't even know what was going on. You know, this, this is something that's crazy that we got to think about. When you really look at it and how big this movement has got, I'm in Los Angeles. The first night, uh, uh, the, that first Saturday, the rioting that was in the Fairfax district was a block away from my house. I mean, this was crazy. People were running by and, and rioting and looting, which I don't agree with with that part. And as we said before, I understand, but I don't agree with what's going on as far as that. But, I, I, but the civil protests, I get behind 100%. But going back to how big this has become... There are so many protests that you don't even know of all of them that are going on. It could be, even be happening in your neighborhood. And I think that's fantastic that people from every walk of life 
every area in my town in Los Angeles are getting together, you know, to get the word out. And, and, and I think that's a good sign of what's going to be happening in the future. I'm hoping it's a good sign that it means that people will be active, that will be active in the future to make changes. Because if you really want change, you got to be active. You got to charge yourself to go out and do something about it. I mean, you, you, you just inspire me. You just continue to inspire me. Long after you're done playing, Kobe, I look at you and you still, you get my, my, my juices going, my blood flowing. Like I want to go out and, and march and, and protest. But, you know, unfortunately, some people, I can't risk the, 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 the lives of my, you know, my family going out to march because of this COVID-19, which, you know, it makes me feel a little bit like I'm not, I'm not doing as much as I can because I can't go out and protest. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm battling internally because I, I have to put my family first, you know, and, and yeah, of course, and these, of pro, course. these protests are going to go, I think hopefully are going to last a long time so I can eventually go and join protests. But at the moment I, I can't really risk my family. And, um, you know, sp- speaking to, to Crystal and Zach with, the, the repeal of the, the national anthem, um, you know, protest. Could we expect the players to, 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 so to show some sort of, of protest? Um, is it kneeling? Is it standing with your hands up, you know, hands up, don't shoot, you know, what could we expect from players? And do you think that all 11 starters, maybe the whole team coaching staff will participate in this, this peaceful protest? Um, for me, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I haven't had conversations with, with, with the guys, with our leadership council, uh, with the coaching staff. Um, but I mean, I have talked to, to some people, I mean, it's, we definitely want to do something in solidarity. Um, but whatever that is, uh, we got to figure that out and then we got to have these conversations, um, in a group, um, and just, and just be honest and open and, and, um, but, but we got to do it together. Yeah, I'm with Zach. I haven't um, talked a whole lot to my national team teammates um, just because we're all in our clubs and, you know, handling this kind of in our own world, obviously. But um, I can expect that the team is going to come together and try to do something uh, unified. I don't think uh, it'll be, you know, some people doing something, some people doing something differently. I think my team typically likes to be all in, or we like to at least uh, figure out a way that makes everyone comfortable with the way we are going to go about this. But I can uh, in, definitely anticipate uh, some sort of protest, some t- sort of unified symbol that we're going to probably try to put out. But um, as of now, I think, you know, it's just everyone kind of handling things in their own market. And when we get together, hopefully when we have a camp soon, um, then we'll then we'll go from there. Could you guys give some advice to the black children playing soccer and to the parents who have black children playing soccer in this country to, to hopefully give them hope and understanding for a better future. Um, I would say, um, I mean, like we said, you should try to be a, yeah, I mean, it's tough to say, um, Obviously, you got to be you got to be thick skin, um, but you want to address these topics. Like we said, we can't just continue to to let these kids grow up and, and be sheltered um, and then 
um, be shocked when something happens and then something goes wrong. Um, it's, it's tough. Um, but I would just, I would say continue to follow your, your role models. Um, because, um, for my, for me, my role models are all speaking up. Um, they're all doing actionable things to, 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 to hopefully bring change, um, and to motivate, um, the masses, um, to educate themselves on, on, like Crystal said, all the topics, the topics, not just one. Um, and that's really all you can do. Yeah, I would tell them that I wish I could say that it was going to be easy, that they were never going to face racism or any sort of, uh, you know, racially geared language. But, you know, I can't make that promise. I hope that we do move towards that. But as of now, I'm, I'm just going to say to them, you know, be strong. Uh, you're going to make it surround yourself with those that are like like you and like minded and who are going to support you and speak up for you, because uh, it's it's going to be really tough if you feel like you're you're by yourself. Um, and I think for me, I've always had teammates that I even if it was just a handful of teammates, I've always felt that having two people that I know are going to have my back is better than just me by myself. So uh, for them, I would say just surround themselves with those that are going to support them and be the voice for them when they're not around because that's important you know it's it's about defending me but if i'm not around and people are saying things behind my back are you gonna still be that person to stand up uh for me when i'm not around um so yeah just just follow your dreams don't let anyone tell you that you're you're less than or you're invaluable and you're you know you're not deserving of the opportunity to play the sport that you love um and and like zach zach said follow follow your role models just you know if we can do it anybody can do it I would say to these kids that, you know, the opportunity is there. The future that everyone talks about that they're fighting for isn't for the people that you see fighting now. It's for them. You know, they're the ones that have the opportunity in the future to be a little bit better. They have the opportunity to make that change. They're the ones that have the opportunity to be active, you know, about this change. You know, for, for all these kids, don't kind of what Crystal said, everyone's entitled to an opinion. And those opinions that are pushed towards you that may be negative, just understand that they're only opinions and opinions can change day in and day out. And your opinion is no less important. And your opinion is probably more important than the other person that's out there. So look at things in a positive manner, because I still think as far as this country, I think there's still positive light ahead. I think we can need to move in that direction. And I think we all have to think about the positive things and the hope because that's the, that's where things tend to happen when there's a hope ahead of you. If you look at all the negative, it can be heavy. It can be overwhelming. Look at the hope and the positive. That's what will drive you, the parent, and everyone out there that's out there right now to continue to be doing positive things in the future. Before we close, we're going to take eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence, the same amount of time that police officer knelt on George Floyd's neck, eight minutes and 46 seconds to honor the memory of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, their families, and the countless other black men, women, and children who have been killed in senseless acts of racism and police brutality.
Lastly, are you optimistic about the future? Do you feel that what has been going on, the actions that we're seeing, the conversations that have sparked will be the catalyst to real change? I think so. Um, I, I said before that something feels different this time around. This doesn't feel like, you know, just a moment. This really feels like it's a long lasting uh, moment for change. And, you know, seeing these protests, I truly believe that I have not ever experienced the, uh, the magnitude of these protests. You know, it's in every single city, uh, every single little neighborhood. Um, and I just think that it's, it's, it's definitely showing that hope is there and that change can come, but we can't take our, our foot off the gas now. I think the last thing we can do is say, oh, you know, all the protests, they look great. They, they, they're fighting for change, but all right, let's, let's back off now. I think we have to continue pressing um, local authorities. We have to continue pressing the people higher up who can make that change as well, because we need people in powerful positions to be able to help restructure the system. So um, I do think change is coming and I'm very, very hopeful. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think hope's coming or uh, change is coming. I'm very hopeful as well. Um, <clears throat> I just think it's, it we keep saying it's, it feels different. I, I would say it feels different because we have so many different tools that we didn't have 20, 25 years ago. Um, and at least when the, the 92 riots were going on, we didn't have social media. Um, we didn't have the people being able to come together on, on different platforms um, all over the world to, to show support and, and stand with each other. Um, so, um, and ed educate each other and then be able to take actionable steps together. Uh, um, and it's, it's just awesome to see. Um, and, and like you guys said, I hope it doesn't stop. Um, that's why I created that, that platform to, to help people to, take steps, motivate them, educate them, um, and, and together uh, we can all do it. Zach, can you tell everybody what that platform is to, so they know? I don't know if we've spoke about the actual name yet. So, Yeah, so the, the platform on Twitter and Instagram is uh, Voice Now, um, voice with a Y instead of an I. Um, yeah, just looking for, for all athletes to come together um, and discuss um, ideas and, and ways to, to educate the masses and our fans and, and um, help out our communities um, that we're close to um, and, and just, yeah, make the world a better place. I am optimistic because from what I see, everything is starting from the ground up. It's not coming from a top down, top down situation. If you look at what Crystal's doing, you look at what Zach's doing, these are all initiatives that they have that are, are starting in the local communities that are starting at a at a at a ground base and you're seeing the ground swell you know and that's important and this is going to bleed up and that that gives me a positivity that it's not from on high somewhere in washington or somewhere in new york or saying okay do this and everyone's around it for a little bit no this is local communities local people getting involved and making change in their local areas because let's be quite honest when it comes down to it what affects you the most is what happens in your local community what happens at the your next block you know not from some word from on high that comes down it's like oh i got to do that if you can affect the people that are your neighbors the people that are down the street your local elected officials at every level then you can make quicker and more immediate change and i'm seeing it day in and day out so yes 
I am optimistic, and I think there's a positive future for all of us within soccer and in the United States. And and to go what you guys touched on, the social media aspect, typically in 92, the newspapers, the news outlets can twist any which way so it benefits everyone else, benefits the masses. Now with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, people recording, you can't do that anymore. You can't fool us anymore. The story's out there. And, and platforms that, that you have, Zach, Steph, and, and Crystal, to, to amplify that is, is what it's all about, the power that we have now. Um, so I'm, I'm very optimistic. And I'm optimistic that we can share our stories and, and they're going to be heard now. And that's why we're doing this. So people can really hear it, listen, understand it. And sometimes it's not going to be easy to comprehend. It might not even be possible to comprehend. But now there's the idea planted in your head that things haven't been done the right way. So um, Jordan, Kobe, Crystal, Zach, um, I couldn't thank you enough for joining me, joining everyone on this this important topic. Um, you know, uh, it never gets easy. I've been I've been doing this for the past two weeks now, and you know, you would think it gets easier to talk to, to talk about every time. And this is this is the most recent one, and um, I feel even more torn o- torn open and torn apart on on this very call. So um, I really do appreciate you opening up and uh, and sharing your experiences and um, these these current discussions and, and protests um, and self-education and awareness will, will definitely go a long way. I'm, I'm sure of that. So again, thank you so much and, um, and have a great day. Thank you guys so much. Good seeing you all. Take care. Thank you.